What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Proud Dads Presents podcast. It's me, Mr. Proud Dad himself, James Savannah. And we've got a special guest on the podcast today. Man, he is a really cool individual. Um, and it's so funny, our stories have kind of intertwined, but we actually never like officially met. So I'm so excited to actually get to officially meet and speak to this gentleman because I've heard so highly of him. Uh, we have Mr. Jamal, Mr. Me Too Sylvester. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? Man, I'm fantastic. You know, we're living the dream, even though it's COVID-19 lockdown, but you know what? You just got to keep on moving through. Yes, you can't sir. let it uh, get you stuck. Now, it's, uh, I've been using the term, uh, in this time of isolation, uh, it's time for elevation. And so, you know, uh, time is one thing that oftentimes we, we, we say we wish we had, mm -hmm. and it's something that can't be recovered, but somehow the big guy upstairs has rewarded us and given us in this time of isolation, he's given us our time back. And so if you don't come out of this situation better than what you were before you went in, mm -hmm. shame on you. Amen to that. And y'all, if y'all don't know, Mr. Jamal, I'm going to give a little bit about him. Uh, Jamal, Mr. Me Too Sylvester is a motivational teacher, certified youth specialist and adversity advisor. Chicago, Illinois born and South Bend, Indiana raised. He is a product. He overcame fatherlessness that was due to incarceration, poverty, and the pain of a broken home to become one of the more accomplished basketball players in the state of Indiana. After a four-year professional basketball career was cut short due to injury, Jamal continues to find ways to make a huge impact on young athletes and disadvantaged youth by sharing his testimony of overcoming obstacles and motivational message to rise through the fire. When youth, college students, athletes, and adults talk about the worst time of their life experiences, Jamal always found himself saying, guess what? Me Too, and the expression quickly became his nickname, Mr. Me Too. Man, that is awesome. <laughs> hey, and I, I didn't ask for this, man. I, I didn't, the basketball thing was something that I kind of stumbled on. Yeah. But being a speaker and motivator and, you know, mentor and just all of the things that I've been able to do uh, over the last 20 years, uh, it was accidentally on purpose. Uh, right. And when I say accidentally, it was, you know how when they say if you hang around the slippery slope long enough, you'll fall in? <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. so I've been involved with a lot of various things and with people who speak and who were teachers and mentors. And I didn't realize that I was actually in school and I was going through training. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when I had my career ending injury, you know, now you have that, you know, what now? You know, I put all of my eggs into this, this NBA basketball basket and they all crack. Right. So what do I do now? Because I haven't practiced on being anything other than being a, a basketball player. And so I had to do some soul searching, man. And this is what I came up with. And uh, I can I can honestly say now at 47 that uh, my second uh, my second life ha has been far more uh, impactful uh, and meaningful uh, than my first life. Man, that is amazing. And I love that you kept moving and not let it um, stop you from making an impact and an influence. And you've flipped it 
like you didn't let the injury become a story of uh, failure you let it become a story of triumph and i love to hear that you're following your passion in a different avenue and that is so cool I, it, it's funny how god kind of moves the legos around Man. and we don't have a clue you know what exactly I mean? like you, think, you think you know and it's like nah and he allowed me to get a glimpse of it so he allowed me to go overseas Mm-hmm. And so he let me become a professional basketball player. But I think, you know, like with everything, it's time and season. And, you know, when I broke my kneecap, it was a season for me to transition mm-hmm. into uh, not not a job, to, into right. my calling. And uh, that's what I've been doing, man. And I've been walking this thing out, man. And it's been great. Amen. So you were born in Chicago and raised in South Bend. How was it? Because I think you graduated from Riley, right? Yes, sir. 1990. Nice. How was it growing up in South Bend around that time? Because I was born and raised in Marietta, Georgia, so I didn't move to South Bend area until about 2008. Um, But I've gotten to know a lot of individuals that were like raised around here. And there's such a there's such a culture that they have. Like there's a pride about being from here and growing up here that they have. What was your experience like growing up in South Bend? It was different. you know, moving from Chicago, Chicago has has always been notoriously known for gangs and drugs and violence, and so all of that stuff was going on. Uh, you know, during my 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 early teen years uh, in Chicago, and then when I moved to South Bend, uh, it was it was rather odd. It was it was like going from Chicago to Mayberry, <laughs> in a sense. Uh, right. And, and there's no knock on, on, on South Bend because, you know, as I tell this story more, uh, South Bend became its own animal in itself. Uh, but when I first moved, man, I heard birds chirping. I seen people who uh, would leave their doors open uh, mm-hmm. when it would become dark. Uh, houses and apartments didn't have uh, gates on the windows uh, and the doors. And this was my norm in Chicago. This was... Someone would come knock on the door of my house. I would open up the door, see who it is. Then I would have to walk back to the kitchen to get the key to unlock the big padlock that had the gate on the door mm-hmm. because it was it was that bad. Or the opportunity for something bad to happen was, was always present. Right. And so to move to South Bend, it was very awkward, man. It was hard to deal with. I'm like, man, I am not used to this, man. The pigeons in Chicago were so hardcore. When we would be standing at the bus stop, man, we would stomp at a pigeon, and a pigeon would be like, what? Like, you ain't talking about nothing? Like, Oh, man, they gangster. You know, and so <laughs> when I moved here, and you know, I'm like, man, I actually hear birds chirping. I don't hear gunshots and, mm-hmm. and babies crying and broken glass and just all of those things that I had, that had grown to become my norm. Uh, it, it wasn't, and so it took a lot of getting used to. And like I said, that didn't last very long because I moved to the southeast side of South Bend, and the southeast side of South Bend has a a bad uh, a, a bad reputation. Okay. Uh, and, and 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 rightfully so. It was some stuff going on, and you know, and, uh, for 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 what it's worth, uh, we were uh, we didn't take no mess, and people knew that. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and we were very prideful of our side of town, and it was family oriented. And so, if you got into it with one, you got into it with all. And so, right. uh, you know that that quickly became you know home for me. Uh, they embraced me, 
And when I picked up a basketball, it was like a love that I had never experienced. You know, you experience the love of your loved ones and your family, mm-hmm. but they supposed to love you. That's your brother, that's your sister, your mom, what have you. Right. But to have people who are not, who don't carry the same last name as you, who don't live in the same house as you, mm-hmm. who truly and genuinely love and support you uh, mm-hmm. and have your back, man, it was it was amazing. And so when I picked up a basketball, man, like I had all of that in me and behind me, pushing me uh, to, to great heights, man. And so it, it, it was cool, man. And I appreciate uh, my Southeast Side family for that love and that support because I wouldn't have done what I was able to do on the court mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have been able to do what I'm doing now off the court without that Southeast Side family and that love, uh, you know, during that time. And even still to this day, that's always going to be the crib and that's going to always be home. So uh, I'm going to forever support the Southeast Side of South Bend because, like I said, I was born in Chicago, but South Bend raised me. Right. Man, it's so awesome when you do develop that brotherhood. Um, like I was saying off uh, camera, we were talking about it. Um, that was football for me. It was like, man, everybody on that team were my brothers. And you couldn't say nothing. Whenever we go somewhere, man, and uh, our coach always had this saying, it's like, we don't start nothing, but best believe we're going to finish it. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know? I like that. <laughs> yes, sir. So it's so cool to um, kind of get a little bit of your story. So when you, after you left Riley, you went to college or did you go straight overseas to play ball? I went to Ball State. Uh, four years, uh, you know, had a had a decent college career. Scored over twelve hundred points, had over five hundred rebounds. Uh, but it was a it was a rocky four year experience. And you know, when you don't know what you don't know, you know, I thought that going to college because I watched everything on TV and then you read the magazines, I thought literally that I was just gonna go to college and I just was gonna play basketball. Like mm-hmm. I didn't understand that I was walking into a job. Right. I had an expectation and the expectation wasn't just on the court. It was off the court. And Mm so uh, going into my freshman year, you know, you you see that term and it's thrown around a lot. Student athlete. Well, I was an athlete athlete. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best way to describe it. Athlete athlete. Just just, just period. Because uh, you when you when you're striving to be great at something and you put so much time and energy into it. You know, for me, it was like, I don't got time to study. Like, that time that, that I'm studying, I could be working on my crossover. I could be working on my mm-hmm. jump shot. Because right. me studying, what, what I get out of these books is not going to get me to the NBA. And that was my thinking. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't help that I allowed uh, low uh, academic uh, expectations for being in athletics. Uh, so all you had to have was a C average. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was a, I was a very bright uh, young man, uh, but you know, to hear someone tell you that all you have to have is a C average, and you know, I'm, I'm talking about I'm super, super smart and ultra slick. I'm like, oh man, really? I'm like, well, all I got to do is go to class every day, turn in all my homework assignments, even if I flunk every test, I can get a C. Yep. Mm-hmm. You would have thought that that expectation would have risen when I got to college because it's a new level. Well, it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is get a C average and you can play. Right. And so once again, real, real slick, real, real smart. I figured out the law of averages. And, and so I only, I only 
extended myself in the classroom uh, when I was pushed to. And that's whether I got suspended off the team like I did my freshman year because I wasn't going to class, or it was the threat of having to stay in Muncie for the entire summer. And so I would go <laughs> and I went and got a three point some GPA for that semester. And my coach was like, You're a dog. Like, you can do this all the time. Right. I'm like, Yeah, I know I can, but if I don't have to, why? Because exactly. Was, no one connected the dots with me, and no one told me that. 20 years after, you know, I would be done with college that I would go and apply, apply for a job and someone would ask to see my college transcripts. And mm -hmm. I was like, no. You, you think that paper, that degree is all you need, but man, they dive into it. Oh, my God. And so uh, I, I played four years, man. I only played one full season. I found a way to get myself kicked off the team three out of the four years for making uh, bad choices uh, because – I didn't take advantage of the mentors and the the adult nurturing, you know, male figures or just adults in general that had been placed in my life uh, before I got to college. I didn't listen, man. I thought I knew everything, man. I knew that I was really good at basketball. And, and with that, I thought that I would be able to do whatever I wanted to do and people was going to let me do it. So yep. I quickly found out that it is a business. And just mm -hmm. like at a job, you get paid for the work that you do. Man, yes, because they are banking a whole lot of dollars on you yeah. to bring money into the college. So, I, man, <laughs> and it, once you realize just how much of a business, I mean, they try to downplay that as amateurism. But once you realize, once you get to that level, it is definitely a business. Yes, and uh, they're looking for like a reciprocal relationship. We okay. give you this, you better give this back. What's the ROI at the end of the day? What's the what's the ROI? What's the return on, on, on the investment? We're going to give you this full-ride scholarship. And at that time, they were still giving out four-year scholarships. And so when I signed my scholarship, it wasn't just for 1990 to 91. It was from 1990 to 94. I don't right. even believe they do that anymore. I think it's season to season now because of the money that, that's being invested. And, you know, you can sign mm -hmm. somebody for four years, and what if he's a flop? Right. You know, they, they want to be able to get out of that contract. And so now it's, you know, hey, if you do good this year, we'll resign next year. And if not, uh, we'll see you <laughs> on your way. <laughs> exactly. Man. So you, where did you go overseas? I played in Bordeaux, France. I played in Tucumán and Buenos Aires, Argentina. I played my, my, my last stint was in Singapore. Uh, and I, uh, I averaged 36 points and 15 rebounds, man. And I, I played my way into an opportunity uh, for what would have been at that time uh, the biggest contract that I had uh, would have played for, and it was for a hundred thousand dollars. And you know, in 1999, a hundred thousand dollars was like having a meal ticket. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I knew, you know, once I signed my name on that contract, that I would have the opportunity and the ability to change not only my life uh, but my family and those who were close to me lives. And uh, I ended up breaking my kneecap two weeks before it was time for me to, to take that trip. So I never saw a dime of that money. Oh, man. Right. That had to be tough. Injury is always tough because it's like it's yeah. always unexpected and you never plan for it. Right. It's like a lot of these athletes go in and they're always thinking about like the positive. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going I'm to ball out. But it's like injuries are inevitable in any yeah. sport you play. So you, you have to be prepared. And, but the hard part with it is, and, and, and I can say this because I've gone through it, 
I don't think I would have been uh, the player that I was had I gone into it thinking that I had the potential of being hurt. Mm-hmm. Because then that 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 causes you to ease up on the gas. And for mm-hmm. me, I had to go full throttle because one, I understand my circumstances. I understand that this window of opportunity mm-hmm. is not is not as wide as some other opportunities are. Yeah. They only got X amount of teams, they only got X amount of open spots. And so uh me having that mentality of man, I, I might I should probably slow down and not go so hard, you know, today because I may get hurt. You know, somebody probably would have looked in and I probably would have been considered an average player. Right. But because I never thought in that way, not that I thought that I was Superman, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, man, I don't want to think in that way because for me at that time, I don't have any other options. This is it for this me. This is so the this option. Be, you know? Yeah, Okay. So did you have family go, uh, traveling around with you or were you just by yourself at that point? No, I, I was, I was solo and it was a, it was a, let me tell you, it was a learning experience. And uh, it, it took me to have my injury and, and have the game taken away from me to understand uh, how, how God works. Mm-hmm. And so even while he gave me what I wanted, as far as having a taste of being a professional basketball player, he was still getting what he wanted out of my life and those experiences. And so, you know, people, especially in our African-American communities, man, we get comfortable with what we know and our circumstances. And so to go to a a country that I can't just hop in a car and drive to the crib if I'm homesick, Mm -hmm. it was a 13 hour flight to get to France. Oh man. And then, then the money that it costs, and so I had to, and it was a time that I was, you know, I called my Nana, you know, may she rest in peace. And I'm like, man, Nana, I think I'm ready to come back to the crib. I don't know if I like this. I miss my, I miss my kids. You know what I mean? I miss my mm-hmm. family. I'm like, I don't like this money. Cool. But then they don't got the food that I like. I don't speak the language. Oh man. And so it was a barrier, man. But my Nana told me, you know, come, come back home to what? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to make a grown man decision at that time. And it's like, you know what? Uh, I can better my family and my kids' situation by staying over it because I have money coming in. Uh, mm-hmm. Back home, I don't know where that money is going to come from. And I may be forced to do some things that I really don't want to do in order to provide, uh, which a lot of my, 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 my brothers, you know, tend to have to do because of our circumstances. And so mm-hmm. I ended up staying and, uh, I had to I had to be creative, and while I didn't want to uh, speak French fluently, I knew that I had to speak the language, and so I would write down. And I'm like, I'm anybody that knows me know that I'm gonna always be my authentic self anywhere yeah. I go. I'm gonna show up and be me. I'm not gonna I'm not I, I cold switch, but I stay I stay me in in the midst of me cold switching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got over it and I said, Hey man, this how I talk. And so I would write out sentences and how I talk, and I would tell them, teach me how to speak French and how I talk. And, so, but, and that's what they did, but it also allowed me to, to uh, connect and build a bond with my teammates. Right. Because they were helping me, and while they were helping me, they were learning how to speak English more fluently. Ah, so one of those reciprocal relationships, and yeah. So it, it worked out, man, and uh, man, I had a phenomenal uh, year, man, and it was it – was, uh, it's right up there, uh, you know, it's in my top three of, uh, of you know, my travels uh, in mm-hmm. my professional life. And uh, 
it was it was real cool, man. It was real cool to you yeah. know be over there and then see the world and you know, man, from Chicago, raised in South Bend. Who'd have ever thought? I went to Disney World in Paris. What? I went to Great Britain. I've been to Australia. I've been to the Philippines, and so you know, even though it didn't happen how I wanted to happen, I still have so many stories and I still have so many memories in my in my uh, toolkit, man. That I I'll, they'll be with me forever, man. And, uh, no right. one can take those things away from me. Uh, but more importantly, as I do the work that I do and I'm working with young people and, and, and we begin to talk to them about stepping outside of their comfort zone, I don't have to share something that I read in a book or something right. that I seen in a movie. It's I can make theory it real for you. personal and I can connect it where they can like, you know what, I build a relationship with them, build trust, and then I, 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 I let them, I give them a flash of who I am in my life and so I, I, I level the playing field uh, and I come down to their pain and I say, hey, guess what? Me too. I get it. I understand. Yeah. I know where you're coming from. So now when I come down, now I have an opportunity because now I've said something that's perked their ears. And so now I got the attention. Now I can pull them up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Man, I love that. That's awesome. That's real cool. And then... um. In your story, um, I, you know, personal experience, there's nothing like personal experience that you can lean on and pull from. Because like you said, it's not a theory to you. It, it was a lifestyle. It was a way of life. It's, it's your life that you can um, pour into others. And so when that lifestyle shifted for you, did you go immediate, like, did you have a period where you had to transition like, did you get stuck? Did you have a deal with things when basketball was taken away from you? Absolutely, man. Uh, depression kicked in. You know, when you put all of this time and energy into being this one thing, whether it's athletics, whether it's music, whether it's school, whatever it is, when you put so much time, energy, and effort into a thing and it doesn't work out, uh, naturally, you know, we're all human. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have the what ifs and the woulda, coulda, shittas and you know, the doubt, the fear, the disappointment. And so I wallowed in that for quite some time. And uh, I delved heavy into drugs, alcohol, mm -hmm. uh, because I was hurt. Uh, and, you know, my, my thing was, you know, why me? You know, like, right. what, what have I done that was so bad that you couldn't let my dream happen? And so, uh, you know, I, I did that. But, man, thank God for having a support system and having family and friends and mentors uh, who can see past what you do and mm -hmm. see you for who you are. And they spoke life into me, even when I couldn't speak it into myself, you know, they yeah. would still tell me, you know, how great I was or the things that I could still do. And, you know, and, and, and eventually uh, over time, I was able to hear those words. And then I began to raise and lift my head up to begin to see that as long as I got a breath in my body, man, I can still do something. Yeah. But I didn't know what, what, what it was, but I knew that I could do something. And, and then it caused me to, to reach back out to my academic advisor at Ball State. Me and her uh, had uh, a really, really good relationship. Uh, she was affectionately known as mom, uh, mm -hmm. Ms. Linda Hall. I mean, I love her. Still to this day, we still communicate. And I, now I'm soul searching and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what, what do I do? You know, all I mm -hmm. know is basketball. Yeah. And she said, Jamal, do, do, do you remember how bright your smile would be when you would 
work with kids? And I'm like, no. <laughs> In my head, I'm like, I don't like kids. Like, you know, and she was like, she said, you was, your smile would be so much brighter. Uh, you would have a pep in your step. And then she sent me a picture of an article that was in the paper. And I'm talking about a real ear to ear. Like, yeah. I didn't even know it. It was just natural mm-hmm. because I was in my element. And so, you know, after, you know, talking with her and then, you know, prayer and, you know, just really, you know, thinking back and thinking about, you know, okay, now that I can't play basketball, what is it that I could do that could to could bring me the same joy that I got from playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And I was able to tie it all together. And man, the only thing that I could think of was helping people, man. And I started with kids uh, because I remember uh, not having a big brother or yeah. not having a father or not having someone to talk to when I was going through, you know, those difficult times when I really needed someone to be there to say, hey, little bro or son, hey, you don't need to go down that way, man. It's, I'm telling you, it's not going to be good if you go down there. And for some of us, we go down those roads and, and God has grace on our lives and he, he allows us to come back and get it back right. right. But I got so many friends and, and family members, man, who didn't get to come back from going down that road. And so, you know, I'm thankful, you know, that I was able to have an ear to hear when I did so mm-hmm. that I could get back, you know, in order and get on the path that I needed to be on so that I could do the work that I've been doing for the last 20 years. Yeah. And that's almost like um, our pastor has been really preaching on the prodigal son and how the prodigal son went out. And then when he came back, I mean, it was a big party. His father was there with open arms. There wasn't any expectation for him to try to prove himself again. Um, And just listening to your story um, and all the traveling that you did and you came back and you didn't really see yourself as worthy, but God saw you as worthy and had it. It's funny how he, placed perfectly that part like you had to go to ball state to come full circle to be able to be able to reach out to that person from ball state right. to kind of push you in that direction so it's so cool to listen to like full circle stories um that people have gone through and come out of so we have a lot of dads that listen that could be in a spot like that where they're just kind of figuring where they're down and out, where their plan A, or maybe even their plan B didn't come to fruition. What is something that um, you could take from your story that you could tell them um, to just not, don't stop? Uh, whew, man, there's so much, but the one thing that, that I will say, because I remember being in that place as a father, uh, and when you grow up with, with, without, uh, the Bible says that the root of money is the is the root. The love of money is the root of of all evil. Mm-hmm. What I've learned in my forty seven years and experiencing lack is lack can can be the root of all evil too. Oh, man. Because when I go without for so long, the moment that I get a piece of money, I'm not thinking about nothing but how can I uh, soothe or treat myself uh, to the Jordans or to the newest fashions so that I could feel good because for the majority of my life, I felt like nothing. I've never had anything. And so while I don't like it and I don't condone it, I understand because I remember when I would do it, the moment I got a piece of change, it was child support or go get the Mm J's. Man, I'm going to go get them J's because I need to look nice. 
and uh, but not realizing that me not paying my child support is affecting my time. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so uh, and, and for a lot of us, what we what we what we think about is we always think about the things that we didn't have. And mm-hmm. so when we think about fatherhood, uh, we think about, uh, well, and I know that I used to say it when I was growing up, man, I ain't going to never do to my kids what my mom or dad did to me. Man, and that so, is like the quote of everybody. I'm just saying, and, and it's real. And mm-hmm. so when we have our kids, when we're in positions to do for them, we overdo it. Mm-hmm. And we give, 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 and, and, and it ultimately hurts our kids and, and it, it gives them this sense of entitlement while we mean well uh, because uh, we were only trying to provide them with the things that we wish we, we could have had or would have had when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and what I've learned is, man, all of those things that you can give your kids, uh, man, those clothes, they're going to outgrow them. The shoes yep. going to get too little. The toys going to break. Uh, and my definition of, of, of love, and, and that's all we're really, as, as, as parents, our debt to our children is to love them right. unconditionally. And another, another uh, word for a uh, meaning for love is, is T-I-M-E. Man, oh man. Yep. So you may, not, you may not have the money, mm-hmm. but you can show up and you can be present. And it's not about the presence. It's mm-hmm. about presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Mm-hmm. So we get so caught up in the presence and making sure that our kids look nice and they got the J's like we got the J's or, you know, they fresh to death all the time or we put them through private school or, you know, whatever it is that we do as parents. Yeah. It's time, man, because mm-hmm. for me, uh, that those are the things that, that last. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that I remember the most. I remember more about the time that I spent with my dad when he was there more than I do the toys that he bought me or right. you know the, the clothes that he bought me. It was mm-hmm. the time. Me riding shotgun with my dad as a shorty and not being put in the car seat like I was a big boy. And then we would go knock on his partner's door and he would knock on the door and say slim and then it would be a baby baby knock and I and and I'll say little slim. That's, <laughs> That's what awesome. I remember. Yeah. You know? And so man, don't don't get caught up, man, in, in the presence, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, be more concerned with your presence, man. And, and be there and find a way. And I know it's hard, but find a way to have an open line of communication with your baby mothers, man, mm-hmm. by any means necessary. Because uh once uh that child uh is old enough to understand, it can't be about y'all two no more, man. It's gotta be about that 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 child. Uh, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we get caught up, man, and us not liking each other no more and mm-hmm. then we let that dictate how we deal with our children yep. uh, and, and I'm not saying that I did it perfect I you know I dropped the ball several times uh, but uh, when I dropped the ball I always tried to make it right and right. I'm always even now I apologize to my kids all the time man and my daughter uh, or my son man dad you don't gotta apologize man like look at us man we all right mm-hmm. uh, but it's my own judgment and my own thinking of I'm always comparing myself to other dads and what other dads did. And yeah. You know what? Just like my journey, my journey is for me. And being a father to your kids is your journey. You can't look at how now you can pull some, some things from mm-hmm. what other dads are doing, you know, that you see that, you know, what? Well, hey, I like that. I think that I could utilize that. But don't be trying to imitate what somebody else doing, man. Right. You, yeah. You walk that thing out yourself. And kids then come with instructions, man. You know what I mean? Exactly. About, 
the most instructions we get is the instructions that are in the Bible and how we should train them up and all of that. But ultimately, mm -hmm. man, it's on the job training, man. And so you figure out as you go. Exactly. Man, you just dropped some, <laughs> so many good nuggets in there. And uh, something that really caught my attention is when you were talking about lack. And I something that I had to train my mind on as I got older, um, not only as a father, but as a man, was where your focus goes, your energy flows. Absolutely. And it's like, if you're focused on your lack, or if you're focused on not trying to be like somebody, your energy, even though you have good intentions, your energy is still focused on lack and not trying to be like somebody instead of an enriched mind or being your own person. Um, and it's so cool that that click is like that click when it starts coming together and you're just like, Oh, if I really actually start doing this, I don't have to worry about um, struggling right? because that's not where my focus is, you know? Yeah. So that was so cool. Um, I, where are you now? I know we, we got I'm part of the journey. Where are you now? I'm in Indianapolis now. Uh, I, I packed up and I moved maybe three and a half years ago. I uh, was getting frustrated. You know, I, I did a, a, a lot of a lot of work in South Bend uh, as it pertains to young people. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, man, when you when you do this type of work, uh, it takes a toll on you. Mm -hmm. uh, and I became frustrated because it was kind of like, you know, you remember Charlie Brown and when the teachers were talking and it wasn't that it was me and the kids, it was the community. And uh, to a lot of people, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but this is how I felt and nobody helped me feel different. Uh, I felt like it, that I, you know, it's, that's just Jamal. And so it's, you know, it, not that I did anything for money, but when you put so much time, energy, and effort into something, at the end of the day, anybody would like a reward. And pats on the back are cool. Uh, but at some point, you know, I've been gone all day, and I can't come home to my family and say, uh, you know, they're like, Dad, you've been gone all day. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, man, all I got for y'all is, man, they told me that I did a great job. Like, come on, man, my kids, because the reality was I spent more time with other people's kids than I did with my own kids. I would have to force my kids to come be in spaces and places that I was at just so that I could be with them because I was so committed to the work. Yeah. And so, you know, I, and I, I became somewhat bitter about it. And I packed up and I moved. I said, well, let me go somewhere else where they'll appreciate me. And I moved to Indianapolis and, you know, that's no, I'm sure that there's a ton of people in South Bend who love me, you know, dearly, who appreciated everything that I did. But, Overall, you know, I'm human and, you know, maybe I, I received that that wrong, but that's how I was feeling at the time. And I made a move. And for me, it's been probably one of the one of the greatest and, and best moves that I could have ever made mm -hmm. uh, because uh, it forced me once again to step outside my comfort zone because I don't have the safety net. Everybody knew me in South Bend. Yeah. And so even when it got hard, it never really got hard. It was only hard because of false pride and me not. Uh, reaching out and asking people for help. You know, I'm going to do this on my own. And so when I moved to Indianapolis, I don't know nobody to reach out to to ask for help. It was a few people down here 
but I didn't want them to know that I was struggling and I didn't want them to tell nobody back in South Bend that I was struggling because I didn't want them, you know, you know how it go. You yep. don't want nobody to be like, see, you should stay here. Mm-hmm. So I just stayed to myself. But what it forced me to do was get closer to God. Ah, yes. You know, mm-hmm. it and God me. opens and, your doors. And while I'm not, I'm not holier than thou, uh, I'm not a Bible thumper. I do know the Bible and I do have a relationship with God. And uh, I know that without him, nothing is possible. And with him, everything is possible. And so it forced me to draw closer to him. And there was a point where I had my stuff packed and I was about to, to go back home. And I heard my Nana voice say, go back home to what? You quit your job. Oh, man. You gave it. But she told me this in 1996 mm-hmm. during basketball. But it was still relevant to what I was going through at that time. And so once again, God, he, Father knows best. He dropped her her voice in my spirit. I stayed here. I got a phone call from a company that I applied for, and I still work for that company to this day. So it was a it was three months in the wilderness, man, and it was rough, man. But you know, <laughs> I, I stayed the course, man, and then God did what He always do, man. He show up and show out. Amen. Always may not come when you want it, but it's on time, always. man. Yeah. So, how did you get into Cause I see you do keynotes, you do speaking engagements. Um, how did you, cause that's not a traditional pathway, I, I'll say, um, of <laughs> making income. And um, as someone who is getting into the speaking game himself, I can understand how it's not a consistent at first. Right. It'll, it'll lead to consistency, but at first when you start now, it's not consistent. Um, for all those fathers out there who are following a non-traditional path, like a like a non-nine-to-five path or um, just kind of building up their own brands, what kind of advice would you give to them? Like, if they're thinking about going home, what would mm-hmm. you tell them right now in their struggle? Man, plant your, man, drop your anchor, man, and stay where you at. Uh, one thing, one thing that I, that I'm confident in is that uh, God allows us to go through things or he drops things in our spirit. Uh, and it's for a reason. And it's up to us to cultivate that and do what we're supposed to do with it. Uh, and I'm in the process of, of, of completing a book. And the book is called What Happens When the Dream Doesn't Come True? And then I have a dot, dot, dot. And then uh, underneath that, I have You Dream Another Dream. And I think that for those fathers out there or, or, or any male, whether you're young or old, when you feel like you're at a crossroads or something has shifted and it's something that's new or it's uncomfortable or it's unknown, man, just, just believe in what's God. Everything you need is on the inside of you. And I found that out, but you will never know that if you don't go through your go through. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and, and to, to be able to rise up out of the fire, you know, everybody talks about being, you know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm real or I'm a made man. And the only way you can become made is you got to go through some stuff. And, and, and some of us uh, only go through it on one side. Mm-hmm. And then that other side is uncooked. And then you, you promote yourself into a situation where both sides need to be done. Yeah. And so you got to go get back in the skillet. And so I would just say, man, you know, uh, think it through. Uh, find uh, at least two to three people who are uh, doing what it is that you want to do uh, and, 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 and cling on to them very tight and ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions, even if you don't know. 
-hmm. you would be amazed at how many people are walking around, whether that's athletes, uh, entrepreneurs, you know, other fathers who would love to be able to share what they know uh, with you. We always assume that, oh man, he too busy. Man, mm -hmm. let them tell you that they're too busy. Uh, a lot of those guys, and like myself, man, we, we <coughs> be almost busting at the seams to get this stuff up out of us because mm -hmm. it doesn't do me any good to go through all of this or read the books that I'm reading or uh, being mentored by the people that I'm mentored with if I don't get to share it. Right. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not getting this just for me. Some of it's for me, but ultimately most of it's for the people that God is going to entrust in me uh, to teach and uh, to, to, to impact. And so, you know, that's what I would say, man. You know, stay the course, drop your anchor, man, and, uh, you know, keep it 100 and, and, and fight it out. Yeah. Awesome, man. And that's just definitely confirmation because what you said about um, reaching out to people, finding two or three people that is doing what you want to do and not being afraid to reach out to them, that is such a stepping stone for a lot of people because we start to, like you said, make excuses for them. <laughs> it's like, did they tell you they were not available? Did they tell you they were busy? <laughs> it's like, why did you just make you kind of, you already put yourself behind the eight ball. You put yourself behind the eight ball. So it's like, man, I love it. And um, it's I love almost it. Like it to, so think about, think about this. And I, I'm going to do it for my fellas. Uh, you, and, and what it is, it's the uncomfortability. It's the unknown. I don't mm -hmm. know this person. But remember that, 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 that girl that you was crushing on in high school that you mm -hmm. didn't know, but you knew that you wanted her number? <laughs> yep mm -hmm. made it happen you know yep. what I mean and for those things that we really want mm -hmm. we gotta be willing to be uncomfortable we gotta be willing to take that even if she say no mm -hmm. you gotta be willing to, to step out there to, to be vulnerable enough to be told no right because if nothing else what if she says yes but even if she says no maybe I just need to, a different approach so the next girl I ask I'm probably going to get a better result because mm -hmm. one, I didn't like how it felt when she told me no. Right. You and can so adjust. let me go back and let me think, you know, it, it, maybe it wasn't her. Maybe it was how I approached her. Mm -hmm. Maybe I was too aggressive. Maybe I was too, you know what I mean? I was too pushy. Maybe I was too to the point and I didn't slow walk that. And so you don't go and you don't ask them for everything. The first time you talk to them, mm -hmm. yep. you just tell them, Hey, I'm what, like, like how you reached out to me. Hey, I've been following you. You know, man, I like what you're doing, man. I love your movement. Man, I would love to have a conversation with you. Yep. Yeah. Simple as that. Up. And that's, that's, it's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. And you let that organically grow. You yeah. don't try to make that happen. You let that organically grow because if, if it's supposed to happen, gotta uh, do what he's supposed to do. All y'all right. have to do is connect mm -hmm. and then he'll do the rest. And so, you know, I, I, I say, you know, reach out and be vulnerable enough, man, to, to, to get the answer, no. And for right. me, no doesn't mean the end of the world. No just means next opportunity, and oh. Oh, I'm stealing that. <laughs> just for the record, I am stealing that. What? <laughs> wow, that is awesome. Next opportunity. Yeah. yeah, and that's something we don't, as men, we don't hear a lot. It's like, be vulnerable. Oh. And we don't get and that's something that i'm teaching my son right now that it's okay to be vulnerable to let people know how you're feeling it's okay to 
um, feel rejection. It's what you're doing after that rejection that is going to build you up. Um, and that's something that, you know, growing up in the 90s, it's like, nah, you you got to be, you tough it out. You have to. Tuck it up and because tough it, it out. Was a, it was a sign of, of weakness. But ultimately what it created is it, it began the process of creating, and I don't want to say monsters, but it's what society is dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Because now I don't care. I don't know how to cry. I don't know how to feel because I've been, I remember when I was young, I would cry and I would get blasted in my chest. Quit crying. Mm-hmm. And then when I stopped crying and then there was times I would be at a funeral, I would be in people, why are you not crying? I, I don't cry. You know what I mean? Right. Like that was, a, y'all beat it out of me. And then now that I can't cry, now I'm a, I'm a monster. Now I'm a problem. But mm-hmm. y'all did that to me because at one point in time in my life, I did cry. But because we we associate crying with with women, we think that it's uh, it's soft. And what I've learned over time, because I've come in touch, and I've 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 come back in touch with my feelings, that it's okay to cry. And for me, crying is one of the best best things that I could have ever done because it's a cleansing mechanism. Mm-hmm. I've never not felt good after a cry. Mm-hmm. And Man. they don't have no real good cry. Right. Man, you be like, man, <laughs> is that all I had to do? I've been walking around with all of this pain, this hurt, mm-hmm. this fear, this doubt, this disappointment, and all I needed was to have a good cry. But Get it's it all, all about out. atmosphere and environment. And you got to be able to surround yourself with other men, other women. Mm-hmm. And whether that's family or non-family, you got to be able to put yourself in an environment where you can cry, man, and ain't nobody going to be looking down at you. Right. And I think the that's safe place. the majority of the problem. Our, mm-hmm. our men are not in environments where crying is acceptable, and so they don't cry. Right. You know? We need more safe places out there for us to express and cry. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Um, so tell our listeners, because we do got to ride, just look down. I'm like, you get into a good conversation, you lose <laughs> track of time. Right. I'm like, but I mean, I appreciate you coming on. We definitely going to have to chop it up for like a number two or something like that. Yes, sir. Um, but you do keynote, and what else do you do, and how can somebody get a hold of you if they want to bring you to speak? Uh, I do keynotes, I do uh, facilitations, uh, I do workshop facilitations. Uh, man, you name it, I do it. If it's involved in helping people, uh, I want to be involved with it, whether that's from uh, planning uh, to actually uh, being a part of the event. Uh, and if you want to connect with me. Uh, you can connect with me on Instagram at Mr. Underscore M-E underscore T-O-O underscore Indy. Or you can catch me on LinkedIn at Jamal, J-E-E-R-M-A-L, Mr. Me Too, Sylvester, S-Y-L-V-E-S-T-E-R. And let's connect, man. And I, I'm, I'm open. I'm willing. Uh, because like I said earlier on, uh, this is not a job for me. This is a calling. Uh, and I'm, uh, you know, and, and, and let me say this. I, I, I spoke out about leaving South Bend because I felt frustrated. And I do get paid to, to, to come to my engagements. But don't let that keep you from reaching out because I do a lot of in-kind uh, stuff. Uh, and so let me, you know, say if I will or if I won't, uh, because uh, for me, uh, it's my calling and I mm-hmm. typically won't, even though I don't like it, 
I know that I have the opportunity to change a young person's life. And so I'm always willing, you know, to compromise uh, what, what that looks like. Uh, and, and it may be, you may not be able to pay me, but you may be able to cover my meals or you may be able to cover gas. Or mm-hmm. you may say, you know what, we can't pay you what you're asking for, but we'll buy 30 of your books. Hey, we can work it out. You know I mean? I'm from Chicago, man. I'm a hustler. We'll make it do what it do. <laughs> we'll make it do what it do. And y'all will have the links below um, for contact for Mr. Me Too as well. So you can check out his website, get a hold of him. Um, and just follow his message because his message is of hope and of enduring and just move, pushing through. And it's something, especially nowadays, that we need more of. Instead of messages of pulling apart, we need more messages of bringing together. So I'm glad we could get together and uh, chop it up a little bit. Um, so we do have a tradition. Okay. And I do have to ask, do you have any dad jokes, <laughs> any jokes you've heard your kids say or any of the other kids say that is just goofier than nothing? No, I can't, I can't say that I do. And it's funny because all of my kids are, are, are silly. They, they definitely <laughs> are, are, are my seeds, uh, but we don't necessarily have, have a joke. Uh, I think the, the joke for, for, for my kids is everywhere we go, like, they'll be like, man, let's see if dad knows anybody when we go here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when we, when we go somewhere, like we just stopped, I went to South Bend this past weekend and we stopped in, uh, it might've been in between uh, Rochester and that little area, some McDonald's right there. And lo and behold, <laughs> man, we at this, you know, this all white town mm-hmm. at this gas station. And I'm looking and I'm like, man, he looked familiar. And my son, I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> And then I'm like, man, I said, hey, LD. And he turned around, and it's a kid that I knew from when he was probably 16, 17 years old, man. So it was cool. And, and just to see his face light up, mm-hmm. uh, one, that I remember him, but then, two, to see me because we had that, we built that, that, that trust equity, and he knew that I genuinely cared about him. And so the joke in my household is, man, we can't, know, we can't go nowhere without our dad knowing somebody. Exactly. That is awesome. So... Mr. Jamal, I just want to say thank you again so much. Um, Y'all look out. Part two is going to come, uh, definitely, because we got so much to talk about and so much to just get into to inspire um, the generation. So, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, y'all. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Proud Dads Presents podcast. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Now you can check us out on YouTube. Um, Tune in. We have a whole bunch of inspiring messages going on. Y'all have a good night. Check y'all out.